Let's pray. God, you do reign. You reign from your throne in heaven, and God, that is where you belong, and we are here this morning to recognize and acknowledge that and to worship you there. A throne is where a king sits, God. And kings, they have armies, and those armies are full of soldiers, and some of those soldiers are warriors. God, we're going to look at how you call us to be warriors for your kingdom today, warriors for the good news of the gospel of Jesus. That might seem a little bit far-fetched for some of us, but God, you, uh, you have positioned and placed each and every one of us in a spot in our lives and in the world where we can do good for you if we're willing to choose to do that. And so God, I just pray you'd open our ears and our hearts and our minds this morning. We'd hear what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we're in the week six of a six-week series on the pioneer spirit. And this week we're talking about a pioneer has a heart of a warrior. So this is kind of the book that's providing a little bit of the direction, but this is the book that we follow. This is the Bible. This is God's Word. This is what it is that we're called to be warriors for. Last week's message uh, it seemed to hit home with a few people, the idea of there's no price that's too high to pay for a Christian pioneer. As I'm reminded again in this past week, Christianity is filled with what seems like a lot of just huge contradictions. Sometimes we see them in the Bible or we think that we do. Sometimes people point us out to get us to have our faith in question, to get us to doubt God. Contradictions like who we say we are and how we really act. You know, we say that we believe in the Bible, then we turn around and we do things that that couldn't be further from what the Bible talks about. Things like what we say that we believe and what the Bible really says. We can insist that we are being the best Christians in the world, but when we actually take time to see what the Bible says, sometimes we're way, way off base. That alone is reason enough to spend our time not just talking about, but reading and studying what the Bible actually says so that we know who we are and who God is. So we can make sense of what might on the surface seem to be contradictions, but in all reality, probably are not. Jesus himself said some things that seem to be very contradictory. You know, on, on one hand, he talks about this being people of love and loving each other and loving our neighbors and loving God and being people of compassion. And then he turns around almost immediately and, and he says, I came not to bring peace, but to bring a sword. Well, which is it? And if we don't understand God's word and if we don't understand it in context, it can seem like a contradiction. And then following that sword, you know, there's the idea of 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. It talks about how we can love God and love each other. And then only a few pages later, Ephesians 6 is the full armor of God. This entire description of Roman soldiers' battle gear that we're supposed to be prepared to go into the world with, this full suit of godly armor that, that we're supposed to be prepared to fight the enemy with. We've got to be prepared. But so often what we hear in church is, well, you've got to be nice. Be kind, be forgiving, be loving. Yeah, but what happens when what we're hearing and what we're told just don't add up to what God's really telling us? 1 Timothy 2, or 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. It doesn't mean we're out there to fight, but what it does mean is that God gives us a spirit to be strong. Then if you do Christian reading, there's guys like Erwin McManus 
and uh, John Eldridge and even Dutch Sheets with this book that would probably want me to go give a battle cry at the early part of this message to say the war is on. It's not what I'm going to do. I don't think that's what's most important. I think instead of a declaration of war, what we need to do is to realize we're already caught in the spiritual battle. We're caught in a battle that rages against us all the time and we've got all the defenses that we need. And yet so often we're either told to ignore it or we just choose to ignore it and we get caught up in this thing. We've got all of the weapons of spiritual warfare that God has given us, all of the defense tools. And yet we still go through life scared, wondering what in the world is going on and what are we going to do about it? Why doesn't God come and save us? One of the most important characteristics that Dutch Sheets talks about, any kind of a pioneer, wherever, wherever you're called to go somewhere that's new for you, is to have a heart of a warrior. Pioneer. Pioneer's got to be prepared He's got to be ready. He's got to be willing to fight for the cause that they're ready to give their life to. Whatever it is that you're called to, you've got to be prepared to go carry it out. And one of the keys to winning any kind of a battle is to accurately know and assess your adversary. Know what you're up against. Know what it is that they're capable of being knowledgeable about every weapon and every defense that they have, but also to know your weapons and your defenses. But none of that matters if you're not fully committed to something. If you're not prepared to pay the price for whatever it is that you stand for, weapons or tools of defense really don't make any difference. And before you decide, Pastor, I'm not a warrior. It's not who I am. I don't have it in me. I know people who are, but that's not me. That That doesn't describe me. If you have ever cared about something, if you've ever been put in responsibility for something, if you have ever created something, that you've had to take care of and defend, you have a little bit of an understanding of what it is to be a warrior. Maybe some of the folks that are the, are the most saying, this is not about me. Pastor, you, are, you got the wrong thing going here. Let's talk to the moms for a moment, shall we? You've ever had a kid that you had to defend, that you had to stand up for, that, that no matter what they did that was crazy to put their life in line, there is nothing you wouldn't have done to have saved them, is there? I don't care if it's a 1,200-pound grizzly bear coming across the front yard. You don't see the bear. You just see your kid. Moms, you even got the heart of a warrior. See, God has put in all of us. We're created in the image of God. And when we understand what the Bible is and when we understand what our faith is all about, we understand that there's a little bit of something in all of us that's ready to fight for the cause of the gospel. So what's the war? What's the war that we should be prepared for? What's the war that, should we be worried about it? It's good questions. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6.12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle isn't against people. It might seem like someone is coming at you and coming at you hard, but you know what? Your real battle in the spiritual world isn't them. It's the forces behind them. It's against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We are all caught in the middle of a war that has been going on since long before any of us were born. You didn't ask for it. You didn't invite it. But it's there. The evil one, the enemy of God, continues to wage battles on this earth. The war is over. God has won the war. But the enemy doesn't give in because the enemy thinks that every once in a while he can win a battle. So what's the battleground? Well, the Bible says, in reality, the earth is the battleground. 
And the earth is controlled by the forces of darkness right now. God is present and God has His hands around all of it. But right now, the devil is having his way. But what's the prize? What are they fighting for? The devil is fighting for the hearts and souls and minds, the affections and the attentions and the finances of everyone who he can lure away from God. Because every single person who he can lure away is one more soul that doesn't spend their eternity in the place that they were created to be, and that's in heaven. The battleground is here, and the battleground, the prize is you. It's your spouse, it's your friends, it's your family, it's your children. It's worth fighting for. What happens when our religious liberties and our ability to gather and to talk about Jesus gets threatened? So many of us go, that's just the way it is. I hate it, but it's the way it is. There's nothing we can do about it. What happens when when someone's government, whether here or someone else, is no longer interested in containing and controlling the very real threat that people around the world face as Christians? So many people go, oh, this is, this is such a bad thing and somebody's got to do something, but they don't seem, to be the one, don't seem to want to be the one who does. That's why America needs pioneers for the kingdom of God, pioneers who will stand up for God's truth. They're nothing new for God. God has been putting to use for His kingdom pioneers and warriors throughout history. The Bible is full of them. The Bible records so many histories of pioneers and warriors that are fighting for God's cause on earth that that it's almost a how-to manual for us if we read it and understand it. 1 Corinthians 11, 10-25 talks about a guy named Benaniah. You probably haven't heard about Benaniah unless you've actually read this chapter and were paying attention to that name because we don't really hear about him anymore. And he seems to be kind of a quiet guy, but he's got a heart that's different than a lot of other people. It seems there was a lion that may have been troubling the folks in the area that Benaniah lived. And so the guys got together, all these tough Israelite guys, and they dig a pit and they bait it to try to get the lion to fall into this pit. Well, it works. Now they've got a lion in a pit and all these tough guys are standing around going, what's the safest way to kill him? I've got to imagine the conversation was spears, rocks, arrows. All the while, the Bible says on a snowy day, Benaniah jumps into the pit and kills the lion. Everybody's talking about what needed to be done, what could be done, what might work. Benaniah just jumps in and kills the lion. That's the heart of a warrior. That's a guy that's going to protect God's people around him if he can do anything about it. The Bible says that it goes on and says, Benaniah killed an Egyptian giant one time. This guy was tough. This guy was a warrior. I mean, he had a heart. Mark Batterson wrote a book called In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. Our men's group on Tuesday has been through that book. It's good stuff. It's good stuff when you're ready to tackle your fears and be challenged to face them because so often... We just want to be afraid of our fears and not deal with them. But that's not what a warrior does. There's few men in the Bible that probably attract more attention than David. Started out as a shepherd boy, ends up becoming king of Israel. His name is mentioned in the Bible more than anybody else outside of Jesus. David was a big deal. David's life is worth paying attention to. David is the one that went and killed Goliath like it was just another day's work, even though he was just a kid. He was anointed the king of Israel and his life is recorded in Scripture and what a life it was. It's written there for an example for us and it's pretty clear that God wants us to know the life of David. David wasn't always perfect. David made some incredible mistakes. David sinned in ways that 
that it's incredible the Bible even records. But you know what? That wasn't the sum total of his story. The Bible says in the New Testament, looking back, that David was a man after God's own heart. Why was that? Because David was willing and committed to do whatever God called him to do. David wasn't perfect, goodness knows, and the Bible is clear about that. But if you want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart, what you do is commit yourself to God and just do whatever He asks. David had this group of guys around him called the David's Mighty Men. They were soldiers. They were warriors. They were pioneers. They were guys that were so committed to David, it didn't matter what he asked of them. They did it without question. Because David knew you can't go through life on your own. You've got to go through life with a team of people that surround you. Last week we talked about life groups. Life groups are so important because it's a gathering of people who are willing to do life together with you. David understood that. They called him, he called them his mighty men. Who do you have that you're doing life with? Are you trying to do it on your own? Are you trying to be a warrior? Or maybe you're out there just being afraid. Maybe you're scared to do anything. If there's anything that you should know, it's that you should go through life with another group of believers who are committed to the same things that you are. That are committed to God and committed to you. And as a group, you're committed to each other. David understood that. But throughout history, there's also other people that tell a different side of the story. There's other people quite unlike David that history reminds us of. And here's the thing. We have to choose our battles and our sides very carefully. In the last decade, there were, excuse me, in the last century, there was a man that grew up, came to power in Germany. He was insidious. His name was Adolf Hitler. He was responsible singularly for the extermination, and this was his plan, of millions and millions and millions of God's chosen people. And everybody around him knew what was going on, and they just seemed to be quiet. And he made a statement. You want to talk about brazen and bold. He made this statement. While this is all going on, while people are being swept up off the streets and, and killed, how fortunate for us that the people choose to remain ignorant. While the extermination of millions of people are, are going on, how fortunate for us that people choose to remain ignorant. The enemy loves when good people remain ignorant and silent. We're talking about ordinary German citizens here, including almost all of the pastors, the churches, and the people who call themselves Christians. They chose to remain ignorant and apathetic and afraid. They chose not to do the right thing in the face of great evil that they so clearly knew was the wrong thing. They simply chose to ignore it. At a time when what the world needed, what the Jewish people needed, was warriors who would stand on their behalf. All that they had in Germany was a bunch of wimps, save a handful. Folks, we can't continue to remain ignorant and apathetic and afraid. God didn't create us to be wimps. And the battle that's going on, the war that's being waged, it isn't new. America's not the first battleground. It's been happening since the Garden of Eden. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. To remain ignorant is to choose weakness and invite the end of the very Christian freedoms we say that we stand for. The pilgrim pioneers who, who founded this land 
left everything they knew in search of an opportunity to worship. They chose not to be ignorant and apathetic. They chose to be active. To remain ignorant is to choose to follow the evil one and not God's own word. And that's so much what America is pressuring us to do these days. The American media, political powers, tech giants, social media have all convinced us that to be a warrior for a godly cause means that you're intolerant. It means that you're unenlightened. It means that you're unkind and you're unloving and unaffirming and worse. And I don't know about you, but I've reached a point in my life, and here's where it is. Non-Christians don't get to tell me how to follow Jesus. And that, should I say that again and you can respond again? Non-Christians don't get to follow, tell me how to follow Jesus. And in America, that's what's happening. They're telling you what to believe. If you really believe in Jesus, you'd be like this. Jesus was a fill in the blank. The Bible doesn't say so. Non-believers don't get to tell me how to follow my Savior. I'm disgusted by people who do not believe in Jesus, whose lives stand for everything that he was not in favor of, that Scripture stands against telling me how to act or live or to treat people. I'm at the point for me, it's no, no, no. And America needs men and women who are warriors who are willing to say no. I follow Jesus. I don't follow loud and demanding people. Jesus was never loud and demanding. He was loving and he was honest and he was actually concerned about people's eternity. To be a warrior for the kingdom of God is to be rooted in God's word. It's to be rooted in our faith and actions against a, a world full of godless relativism. And I say that because what the world says is that God isn't really real. God can't do anything. God can't help you. You're just, you're off on your own. There's nothing. You're not really following anything. The Bible's outdated. It doesn't matter anymore. Those are the same people who will shame and dismiss you for standing for the truth of God's Word, and yet they are the ones who are the most militant in pursuit of reaching their agenda by changing both culture and politics. Talk about a double standard. God isn't calling us as Christians to declare some kind of a new war. He doesn't have to. The war has been engaged for a long time. God is calling us to be prepared to be ready and to be willing to engage the war that the enemy began against us generations and generations ago. The question is, would you rather bury your head in the sand? Would you rather be ignorant and deny the reality of the world that we're in rather than to, to educate and to pray and to prepare ourselves for the actions of the enemy? Because here's the thing. If you don't, and if you'd rather not, it doesn't mean the enemy is going to leave you alone. If you look at the Bible and you are, you are call, someone who calls yourself a Christian, He's coming after you. He's coming after your spouse and your marriage and your kids and the people you work for and uh, your friends, your family. He's not selective. He just wants to take as many people away from God as He can. And if it's more comfortable to pretend that isn't real and to keep your head in the sand, you've got the right to do that, but the day is going to come and you wish you would have prepared yourself. Because the day is going to come when the only thing that we're going to have is Jesus. The world isn't the place that we might want it to be. Okay, that's fine. It's ruled by the powers of darkness and we need to accept that, but God didn't leave us alone. The Bible tells us about the world that we live in, but it also tells us how it is that we can live in it. There was a polar explorer named Roald Amundsen. He said this about being prepared for an adventure. 
and a pioneer, a warrior is ready for an adventure. I may say that this is the greatest factor, and what he's talking about is success on an an expedition. The way in which the expedition is equipped, the way in which every difficulty is foreseen, and the precautions taken for meeting or avoiding it. Victory always awaits him who has everything in order. Luck, people call it. Defeat is certain for him who has neglected to take the necessary precautions in time. This, people call bad luck. Rather than us relying on luck or hoping things get better, it's far more important for us to rely on being prepared and living in faith. You don't need to live in fear of the world that we live in. We need to have faith that God has prepared us, that God is going before us, and God will come alongside us, and God is behind us. We don't need luck. We have the power of God's Holy Spirit. But his point is good, is we have to be prepared. And I think too many people in the American church today are not prepared. We are just simply waiting in the hopes that something gets better. Lest we bury our heads in the sand and remain ignorant, I'm going to read Ephesians 6. This is the whole armor of God. If you're wondering what you can do, start with this. Ephesians 6, chapter 10. Excuse me, chapter 6, verse 10. Paul says a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. We did an entire series on the armor of God a while ago. You can go back online and listen to it. Put on all of God's armor so you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. That doesn't mean the people. It means the powers and the spirits behind them. Against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, when Paul says therefore, what he means by that phrase is, now that you know, do this. Now that you know, do this. Put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to stand to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Something interesting about that thing, all of that armor, that is the armor that everyone in that day would have known that a Roman soldier wore all the time when they showed up for work, whether they were going to battle or walking the streets. All of that armor, save one piece, is defensive. All of it is defensive. It's there to protect our hearts and our minds and our faith. It's there to protect all of the things that the enemy wants to steal from us, to take from God and take for himself. The one piece of offensive, offensive armor is the sword of the Spirit. And that's one that God takes care of on his own. The Holy Spirit handles that. The whole armor of God is what God gives us to be prepared to live in this world of ours. And finally, what do we do? What's the most offensive thing that a Christian can do is to pray all the time for yourself, your family, your friends, and for people you don't even know. See, a pioneer, they're ready for anything that they come across. They're prepared and they're well outfitted. 
Warrior, no different. They know what they're into and they're prepared for it. Preparation, familiarity with weapons of offense and defense, and a heart that is fully committed to the cause make all the difference. But if you're wishy-washy, you're in trouble. David is a man after God's own heart because even in spite of his flaws and his sinfulness, David loved God and he was willing to do whatever it is that God asked of him. He was not perfect, but he was fully committed and he was prepared. America needs pioneers with warrior hearts that are as committed and willing to fight for the kingdom of God as David and his mighty men were. So how about you? How do you feel about that? Where are you today? Would you rather keep your head in the sand hoping somebody else does something? What do you believe in and and are you willing to fight for it? If it's God and His kingdom, are are you ready to fight for the cause of the gospel of Jesus? Are you ready to do that in a world that is going to stand against you. See, I hope so, because the enemy, the enemy is ready. The enemy is already at war. The enemy is already at work in your life and in the world around you. And yet God has given us everything that we need to engage and win that battle. We don't start the war, but we're supposed to be prepared for it. The only question then that remains is, are we willing? Are you willing to go against the trend of what Christianity has become in so many places in our country? Are you willing to go against the tide and to do what it is that the Bible actually tells us to do? It begins with the full armor of God in Ephesians 6. 6. Read it. Understand it. Consider yourself putting it on. Study it. Know it. Suit up. And then be of good cheer and be courageous because you know what? God is with you. There is nothing the enemy can throw at you that you can't handle with God on your side. God's given us every tool, every weapon, and every defense that you're ever going to need. God is looking for pioneers, for men and women who are warriors, who are willing to be courageous for a cause bigger than themselves. That's what we're about here. That's who we are. That's what we've talked about for every year of our existence. What can we do to break into that world and to bring the good news of the message of Jesus? What God's looking for is men and women who have a heart after God's own heart. People who will live boldly, who will love Jesus and love people and teach people to love Jesus. That's the stuff of warriors. That's the stuff of pioneers. That's the stuff that makes a difference in this world that so often seems to be falling apart at the seams. That's who we are. That's what we're about. I really hope that you'll do more then just say, I want, to, I want to learn more. I hope you say, you know what? I want to go out and do something more. Love Jesus, love people, even the tough ones. And then teach people to love Jesus. Let's pray. God, this is a tough message. It's a tough idea. It's not fun to think about the fact that there's a war that's raging around us. But you know, when we stop, it doesn't take very long and we see it. We feel it. We know it. There is a war that's going on, God, and that war is for our attention. It's for our affection. It's for our love, God, because you want us to give all of those to you. But your enemy, the devil, wants to steal all of those from us. And with doing that, he steals life and joy. God, help us to be people who trust you, who live in faith, who don't trust in our own things or our own thinking, but who trust in you, who put our faith in you, who are willing to live for a cause that is so much greater than ourselves, the cause of the cross of Christ. Jesus, who came and lived and died that we might be free and know salvation in His name. God, that's a cause worth fighting for. In Jesus' name, amen.
I invite you to stand. Uh, ushers are going to come forward. We're going to receive gifts and tithes and offering. The Bible talks about our giving as an indication of where our faith and trust in God are. See, He's placed you where you are in your life to make a difference for Him. He's given you finances. He's given you relationships. He's given you work. All of those things you can hold on for yourself or you can use all of them to give God glory. And that's what He's looking for us to do. Thank you for your generosity in supporting the ministry of this place. Let's continue to worship. So I've had something that's been bugging me for a couple of years. Um, This Christmas kind of pushed me over the edge. We have had a few times at Christmas and Resurrection Sunday when we've had to turn people away because we didn't have enough space in this room. And you can't be the open door and tell people that we don't have room for them. It's kind of been gnawing at me. And so I think God is calling us to be pioneers and to be warriors and to love Jesus and love people in a new and different way. So we've decided this year we're just going to kind of skip the problem. We're going to have one service for Resurrection Sunday. Just one. Ten o'clock. One service at the New London Spicer High School main gym. Yeah. Uh, We got some people that are just excited to help us make that happen. We've been through the meetings. We've gotten the permissions. Our tech team has been through the place. Uh, We are going to take everything that we do on a Sunday morning, and we're going to transition it a couple miles to the high school. We're going to invite the whole community that doesn't have a church home to worship Jesus with us. So, yeah, amen. So Resurrection Sunday, March 31st, 10 a.m., New London Spicer High School, Main Gym. Yes, you will be able to get coffee there. (laughs) Invite your friends, invite your family. Anyone doesn't have a church, they might come to a church service at a gym, even if they won't come to a church service in a metal building. I don't know, but they're invited. With that, if you want to know what you can do to be radically countercultural, go out there and for everybody to see in the most Jesus-honoring way, Love Jesus, love people, and teach people how to love Jesus. Some folks won't even know what to do with you because they've never experienced real love before. It is a radical thought, but it's something that every one of us can do. we got one more song before we go. Thanks for coming, folks. Have an awesome week. Enjoy the weather.